We live in the midst of a, a certain tension that exists pretty much around the clock. We have both the desire to fit in somewhere, but at the same time, to stand out. In other words, we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be isolated. We don't want to be on the outside always looking in. We crave some sort of community or, or group, our, our people, people that we can connect with. Maybe for some of us, that's our, our nuclear family. Maybe for some of us, it's the people that I, I game with online or, or in person. People with whom I share a certain affinity. Outdoors groups who, who like hiking or a certain hobby or, or skill like we enjoy getting together for. But, but we, we want to connect and be a part of a group. And yet that tension comes in where as much as we want to belong, we also don't want to be a cookie-cutter copycat of the person next to us. We want to be individual. We want to stand out just a, a little bit as being unique in, in our own person. So maybe in our group, we have to be the best at whatever it is. Or maybe we're simply content to have some little odd quirk or some little niche that is unique to us that everybody in my group knows, oh, he's the blank guy or she's the blank girl. That's her thing. Well, here's the good news. If, if you are looking to stand out, the words that you just heard in the gospel this morning from Jesus will give you plenty of opportunity to stand out. Listen to the words of Jesus again as Luke recorded them for us in the sixth chapter of his gospel. He says in verse 27, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Pretty straightforward. If you want to stand out, if you want to be known in the world, just do what Jesus says to do there and you will stand out quite radically. But it's easier, it's easier not to stand out. And Jesus in the very words that follow, explains to us how if you want to blend right in with the rest of the world, well, there's a way that you can do that as well. And here's, here's what he says that looks like. In verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. So when Jesus uses the word sinners there, don't take that to mean that he's saying that believers or Christians are somehow without sin. That was a, a way of speaking in Jesus' day that, that even the religious elite used to make a distinction sometimes between believers or, or unbelievers. So when he uses the term sinners, that's simply Jesus saying, unbelievers live that way. And so when you do these things, you're really no different than, than the unbeliever. And to sum up those words, it's, it's maybe kind of basing my actions toward others 
on how they treat me. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours and, and everything will just be fine. We'll all get along and we'll all be better for it if we agree to treat each other that way. It would seem like a, a nice thing in theory, correct? But you don't have to look around in the world too much to see that what is theoretical in, in these verses definitely is not applied consistently. That there's a real problem when we apply that principle or seek to or imagine that the world is going to be a better place if we simply love those who love us or are kind to those who are kind to us. Because it all starts to unravel when the first person is unkind. It all snowballs and, and goes downhill from there. So if my approach is simply, I'm going to base how I treat others on how they treat me first, here's what happens when somebody is unkind to me for one reason or another. I am justified by my own approach in life to not treat them kindly, to not love them in return because that's not how they treated me. Now expand that a little bit and let's imagine a third-person party individual sees how you treated somebody else. They don't know the background. They don't know what the deal or the issue was with you and that other person. All they see as an observer is, you weren't very nice to somebody else. Well, they live by the same standard you do. Since you were not kind, they don't feel compelled to be kind to you or to love you. And so on and so forth until everybody sees nothing but unkindness and nobody sees any justification or reason to be kind or to love others. In fact, rather than looking for people to love, we're actually looking for reasons not to. And, and the world is kind of stuck in nobody being kind to one another, nobody loving others. And, and there's even a bigger issue with all of this, because if, if the basis on which I determine how I'm going to treat others is first how they treat me, then I'm overlooking the, the real problem. Who's fixing me? If my approach is, I will show love to the world only if I first receive love from the world, then I'm only worried about how others are treating me. I'm not fixing, I'm not addressing where I am a part of that problem. So I've got spiritual blinders on and I see all kinds of blame and all kinds of wrong with the rest of the world, but I don't see it right here. Because again, I'm justified in, in not being kind to those who haven't been kind to me. Now I want you to consider a rather terrifying thought. Imagine if Jesus came into our world and he planned to operate in the same way. If Jesus' approach coming into this world was, was the same as, as we justify, I will show love to the world if I first receive love from the world. Can you imagine what our world would have been and would look like today? The world would not actually know love. There would never have been any any miraculous healing, nobody on the other hand, end of Jesus' loving, miraculous healing touch. There would not have been 5,000 plus who were fed miraculously, but 5,000 plus who went away cantankerous with empty stomachs, not experiencing Jesus' love. There never would have been good news that was preached from the hillsides and the synagogues and the seaside. No one would have heard of it 
Because if Jesus operated on the basis of saying, to the degree that I receive love first, only then will I show love to the world, nobody would have ever experienced or known that love. Because nobody by nature is able to love Jesus. And if there isn't a love that exists between God and, and man, then you know the ultimate outcome. The end result is that every one of us on this planet throughout history has our eternal passport stamped. Our destination would be damnation if Jesus waited first to be loved. And by God's grace, and, and thank goodness that he has opened our eyes to see it, that isn't how Jesus came into our world to operate. In fact, St. John tells a radically different story in terms of our relationship with him. He explains to us exactly how the world came to know love. In John chapter 4, verse 19, he states very clearly, We love because he first loved us. Not because he waited for us to love him, but because he initiated that love toward us, his enemies by nature, who are not even capable of extending so much as an ounce of love or goodwill to the Lord. And, and St. Paul even goes in greater detail, reflecting, visualizing for us what that love actually looked like, how Jesus chose to express that love. In chapter 5 of Romans, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Not once we shaped up and, and loved him first, but while we were enemies, opposed to him, despising him, wanting nothing to do with him. Those, you, me, are the people for whom Jesus came. The ones he chose to love. These words that, that Jesus speaks in Luke's gospel are among some of the, the more difficult in, in all of Scripture. In fact, if, if we had permission to, if, if God said, all right, I'll give you the opportunity to kind of cut, to redact, to edit, and, and, and remove some words from Scripture, these might be among the, the top that, that we like to kind of dismiss from Scripture. But if you are going to take issue with these words, if, if you want to lament to God and say, Lord, this is, this is impossible. Can't we be a little more realistic as far as what you expect of us than to love our enemies? If you think this is hard and you want to complain to the Lord about it, well, you're preaching to the choir, aren't you? To tell Jesus that these words are hard to live by will tell him something he doesn't know. See, if you really want to understand the significance of these words and how essential, how necessary they are for our lives, we have to reframe the way that we look at them. Here's the tendency that we have when we come across these words in Luke's Gospel. We read through them, and we do so with the lens that I'm the good guy, and there's these bad guys out there in the world. And these bad guys are really hard to love because they're jerks and they're mean and they're awful, but Jesus still calls me to love them. I got to do it, no matter how difficult and awful they might be. Reframe that, do a little role reversal, and read these words with a lens toward you being the bad guy. 
And then it reads a little differently, doesn't it? When we hear Jesus speaking these words, when he says to to love your enemies and I'm the enemy, when he says do good to those and I'm the one who hates, I'm the one who curses, I'm the one who slaps on the cheek, I'm the one who steals, who takes, I'm the one who does all of these things and still he loves me? You're not going to be able to wrap your brain or your heart around that for the rest of your days here on earth. That extent of love. When I am the bad guy, and and that's how Jesus chose to love me, despite every reason, every excuse under the sun, not to. And Jesus, he performed some amazing miracles. And of course, the the cross and the tomb and, and the words that he preached and spoke and the wisdom that he exuded everywhere he went, these things are all amazing. And yet, really, what is foundational to appreciating all of them is that they were all based on Jesus choosing to love his enemies. And he did just that. He loved and he loves you and me. And that alone is what makes these words possible for us to carry out. If we did not know his love first, we could lament, we could complain, we could deem these words impossible, but because Jesus has loved us first, that has changed and continues to change us to now do the same, to love our enemies. Yes, it's easier to love those who treat us well, but Jesus has called you to something more. Jesus has not called you to blend in, but to stand out. Jesus has called you to stand out to draw others in. And that's not just about how you live. It's first recognizing that that's what he's already done for you. He has already redeemed you. He has already set you apart. He saved you. He continues to sanctify you. He has set you apart to stand out. But now if we choose to blend in and love the way the world loves, then what God has done for us in in setting us apart might be entirely lost on the world. They may not see it if we don't love radically the way Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So friends, stand out so that he might draw others in. Billy Graham is is said to have shared a a story frequently throughout the number of times that that he preached. A story about, I don't recall what the, the place was, where he was when this event happened. But he was in some town. There was a revival, a service later that evening. And before the service started, he had some letters to mail. But it was an unfamiliar area to him. And so he had to ask where the post office was. And he he came into contact with a a little boy on the street and asked him, could you tell me where the post office was? And of course, the little little boy gave him directions to the post office. And appreciative, and then turning to, to walk away, almost on impulse, Billy Graham turned around and, and said to the, to the little boy, hey, I'm going to be teaching tonight. I'm going to be preaching and, and showing people the way to get to heaven. You should come and hear how to get to heaven. Oh, I, I don't think I'll be coming tonight, the little boy said. After all, you didn't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> now, obviously, there's a little humor in that, in that tale, but 
I want you to apply that very realistically to the words of Jesus today. If the world doesn't look at you and me as Christians and see a different, a radical type of love, why on earth should they ever think that we have found the way? If they look at us and see people who, well, who, who are just as loveless, just as impatient, just as self-righteous, just as bitter, just as, uh, I mean, the list goes on, as the rest of the world, why should they ever ask us for the reason of the hope that we have? It's going to be lost on them. They'll, they'll see nothing different in us. But we're told in Scripture that this is how the world will know that you belong to Jesus and how you love others. So do your friends love others? Everyone. Even your enemies. So maybe the next time, instead of wasting an unnecessary amount of energy, lamenting on how rough you have it as a Christian being persecuted in this world, instead of, instead of wasting all of that energy, why not stop and pause and consider how you might show love to those who are persecuting you at your next persecution pity party? What if instead of the disgusted eye roll that naturally comes over us when we encounter somebody who talks about broadcasting or openly sharing their, their change in identity or orientation, instead of being disgusted by that and, and not giving them the time of day, what if, we, what if we instead listened and tried to understand where they were coming from and actually treated, treated them like, like a human being? Instead of that strained relationship with a, a friend or a family member, the one where our own pride gets in the way of reconciliation, what if we instead swallowed our pride and loved that person enough to gently and patiently meet them wherever they need to be met, however they need to be loved instead of insisting on my terms? What kind of difference does that radical love make in the lives of others? What kind of difference did that radical love make in your own life? I'll tell you, it, it changed your eternity. So is it possible then as you seek to love your enemies, as you seek to apply this kind of radical love to others, that that very well might be the first step in changing their eternity as well. May God bless your efforts to love your enemies. Amen.